Well, it is great to be with everyone this morning, our church family. Um, this is an important thing for our church. You know, we are not a church that is uh, centered around the Sunday gathering in the sense that this is not the only thing that we do or even the most important thing to do, uh, the most important thing that we do, but it is an important thing. And this is the opportunity for us as a church to gather together as a family and for this to be a space where we can gather around God's word and worship the Lord and to spend time with him to receive all that he has for us. The Sunday gathering is an opportunity to remind us that our relationship with God is not just a private affair. It's not just something that exists between us and God. Yes, we all enjoy a personal relationship with Jesus, but it is one that we share at the same time. The gospel reveals that we are reconciled to God and a new relationship is established with us and God as we are reconciled to him, as our sins are forgiven. And simultaneously, a new relationship happens on this level as well, where we become brothers and sisters, spiritual brothers and sisters, spiritual siblings. And that's sort of even what Kyle was talking about when he talked about people connecting and things like that. That's not an attempt to provide you with a circle of friends in Los Angeles, although it may do that. What it really is is setting the stage for us to live out what it means to be spiritual siblings to one another, spiritual family to one another which doesn't often make sense if we are not the kind of people that we would normally want to hang out with one another, right? Sometimes when we, are friends, when we have friends and we are seeking to establish friendships, certain criteria needs to be met, and we're, we, we might remain a little bit closed off to that, and closed off to other people. But if we are to recognize that we are spiritual family to one another, we recognize how we're responsible to and for one another, we can care for one another, be there for one another, <clears throat> disciple one another, encourage one another towards Jesus, to living for Jesus and all of that. So this morning, all that to say that this is the opportunity for us as a family to gather together in God's word and to see what he has for us. We're in a uh, series right now um, in, through uh, Psalm 23. And uh, Psalm 23 is a psalm that <clears throat> probably a lot of you are very, very familiar with. It ranks up there as one of the most recognized passages of Scripture, um, the most memorized passage of Scripture. It's right up there along with probably John 3.16. And as we get into this psalm this morning, Pastor Ryan covered verse 1 last week. And so this week, um, I'll be, my, my focus will be on verse 2. But what I'd like to do is just read the entire psalm through and um, as I read it, I, I don't want you to hear this and view this as, oh, he's the, it's the pastor is going to read the passage and then, cool, then we'll get into it. I want you to understand and I want to, you to sort of think of this as this is the time right now that God is desiring to reveal himself to you. And so I want you to right now just get in that space of mind that space with your heart where you're just ready to receive what he has for you. And as I go through this, this uh, chapter, I want you to, to receive it like truth being spoken over you. <clears throat> the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. 
He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Let's pray like he's present. Thank you for being with us, Jesus. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being our shepherd. May we get a greater vision of what it means that you are our shepherd this morning. May we get a greater vision of what it means that we are your sheep. Lord, I pray that you would unlock the things that are keeping us from seeing you as our shepherd, from recognizing that we are your sheep. There are all kinds of needs represented here this morning. Jesus, you know them all. I'm glad that you're here with us. We are glad that you are here. We are glad that we do not have to speak to you as if you are in some far off place. That we don't have to guess and wonder whether you will show up, whether you want to be with us, whether you care about anything that's happening in this room, whether you care about any one of us as individuals. We have those answers, we know. You are already portrayed for us in scripture as the good shepherd. We may or may not fully embrace that, but it is true nonetheless. So throughout this morning, Lord, I pray that that we would be taken through a process by your Holy Spirit where we can fully embrace that reality that you you are our shepherd and we are your sheep. And this relationship that we enjoy with you is one that is so critical to Um, experiencing real life as you intended it. So thank you for your presence. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Instruct us now, we pray in your name. We pray, amen. Well, I, uh, I played a lot of sports growing up. I played a lot of sports my whole life. That came to a sudden and crashing halt a few years ago. Some people are laughing because you know what happened. Some of you were there. I blame you for this. It's all your fault. But as I say, it came to a crashing halt when I splintered my tibia in three pieces playing softball, again, with some of you. Now, it was a total stupid move, totally my fault, totally on me. I forgot how old I was, and I thought I was still, you know, 18 or whatever. But, uh, you know, my, my... my, uh, you know, I, I, as I'm pushing 50, I guess my playing days are over and I've accepted that. 
It's weird that I, I, that's the first time I've ever said I'm pushing 50. Whew. I'm going to be 48 in a few weeks. Yeah, I'm not scared. I mourn the loss of playing sports, but other than that, I'm okay with it. But I've accepted that. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, totally agrees. And she, she has completely banished me from playing sports ever again. That's my oldest daughter. My youngest daughter has a different attitude about it, though, because she doesn't want me to give up, and she just wants me to try again. <laughs> and while cute, I don't, I don't think that's uh, really what the plan is. But growing up when I was playing sports, uh, one of the things, I mean, I, I love to watch professional sports all the time. And it wasn't just for the entertainment value, but it was even to learn how the game is played. And so specifically, and, and, um, uh, yeah, specifically when it comes to like slow motion replays, you know, I used to watch the body mechanics of these professional players and the, the subtle movements of their bodies and how they got in position to make certain plays, to throw the ball, kick the ball, catch the ball, shoot the ball, whatever it was, swing the bat. And I wanted to learn from their example. I wanted to see what they were putting on display for me in that moment as I was able to see it in slow motion playing out. Okay, how do I position my body and how do I do that? And I would, I would seek to learn from that example that was being presented for me. And in this psalm, we get to see how the author describes and displays his relationship with the Lord. Just as I got to watch how professionals would swing the bat or slide or play a particular position, we get a glimpse into a relationship that uh, the author of Psalm 23, we get a glimpse into what his relationship is like. And he is recording for us and he's sort of speaking about that relationship that he has and we get the opportunity to, to look into that and allow that to sort of become a pattern or to, to give us a glimpse of what it can look like to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, <clears throat> I was never going to make it to the pros. And so to some degree, what I was watching on TV was always out of reach. But I don't think that's how it is with Psalm 23. As we look into this relationship that David has with the Lord whom he calls his shepherd, I think this is something that is very accessible and very attainable for us. And so we're going to be looking at that this morning. As I mentioned, this psalm was written by a man named David. And yes, he's the David and the David and Goliath story. He sees himself as a sheep and he sees the Lord as his shepherd. And it's interesting that he would write from this perspective, because in his pre-Goliath days, that's what he did. He was a shepherd. And so he's writing from something that he knows. He's writing from a place of understanding the dynamic in that relationship, the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd. And he reverses the roles here where he was once a shepherd taking care of sheep. He has that point of reference and that framework to, to realize and to see, oh yeah, I, I see the Lord as my shepherd. I see myself as one of his sheep. The sheep need a shepherd to look out for them. He understands that relationship. 
And despite what a lot of people think about sheep, sheep aren't stupid. Sheep are, I mean, we hear that a lot, right? Sheep are so dumb. Sheep are stupid. But they're actually not. They're quite intelligent animals. Just Google it like I did. I had the same assumption, probably from decades and decades of pastor stories. But they're not stupid. They're just dependent, and they need to be provided for. They need to be led to food and water. They need to be protected. They need to be taken care of. They're sensitive and emotionally complex. They're easily spooked. But they're, they're capable of recognizing faces. They're capable of recognizing Voices, they, 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 have, they have the ability to recognize the shepherd's face and the shepherd's voice. And they're much more calm and at rest when they know that the shepherd is near. Throughout the psalm, David illustrates this relationship between sheep and a shepherd. He says in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. And think about David making that statement. The Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. And when I say, think about David making that statement, I'm talking about the fact that he was once a shepherd. He says he, in verse two, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the focus of our time will be right here in, in verse two. So, you know, where it talks about he lets me lie down in green pastures. So just uh, heads up and fair warning that throughout the, uh, the, the duration of this sermon, I'm going to be completely butchering forms of the word lay and lie and lying and laying. So for you English experts out there, I apologize in, in advance. Um, I don't know the proper distinction between those words, so just, you're just going to have to roll with it and under, just get, pick up the gist of what I'm saying. Um, but I can't believe I'm the only one that can't figure that out. It's it, going to be lie the whole time. It's going to be lie the whole time. Yeah. See, I should have you up here <laughs> interpreting for me. So whether, whether it's Lily or anybody else that would like to lend a hand, uh, feel free to call out at any point in time if I get some of these words wrong. Um, but here's what I'd say. According to Merriam-Webster, lay and lie have been tripping up English speakers for 700 years. And no one should be judged harshly <laughs> for being among the confused. So that is my little disclaimer. Please be gentle with me. But one of the, as we go through this, this chapter and specifically this verse here in verse 2, he lets me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. Um... One of the th first things that might stand out to you is the wording in verse 2. Many of you have known this verse in light of how other translations have put it specifically, uh, most, probably and mostly through the King James Version, the King James translation of the Bible, where it talks about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and he or maketh, right? He makes or maketh me to lie down. Now, um, I've heard this passage taught countless times where the whole point of the sermon, if, he's, if you don't lie down and if you don't rest, God's going to make you rest. <laughs> See, it says right here, he makes me lie down. He maketh me to lie down. 
And I've heard whole sermons based on that. Unfortunately, they're wrong. They're wrong. Because that's not what this passage is saying. That's not how it works. To understand how this word is, is used, we might compare it to when you go visit a friend. And I might ask you, hey, how'd the visit go? How did it go? And you might say, man, they were so great. They were so hospitable, so generous, and they made me feel right at home. I'm like, wait a minute, they made you feel right at home? No, they just made me feel right at home. So that's how we are to understand that particular translation when we see the word made or making there, or he maketh. It's creating the conditions where that thing can be. So to be, to be made feel right at home, you feel welcomed, right? That person did what they could to make you feel welcome, to make you feel like they, that uh, your presence was desired there. They created the conditions where that could take place. And so I like how the CSB, uh, the translation we typically use these days, I like how that translates. It says, he lets me lie down. In other words, because of the shepherd, I can lie down and chill. And it can be understood as he settles me down. When I'm in that spot, I just want to lie down because of the conditions that he's created. It's the difference between telling a child that it's bedtime, whether they like it or not, and a small child curling up in its mother's arms in the middle of the afternoon and falling asleep just because it can that's what David is conveying there. Now, if a sheep is lying down, what does that tell us? I think it's a picture of rest because there's nothing that's bothering the sheep. If there was anything bothering the sheep, uh, sheep never lie down. They're jittery, they're skittish, they're always amped up. So if a, if a sheep is lying down, the first obvious indicator is that they're good, they're chilling out. Nothing is bothering them. Their danger awareness is always cranked up to 11. They're constantly on the lookout for predators and for threats and for danger. One thing I learned this week that, I don't know how many of you know this, I was talking to Justin Gum last night, and apparently he knows this, uh, but he's smarter than me. I just learned this week that sheep have pupils. Well, I didn't learn that they just had pupils. I already knew they had pupils. But I learned that sheep have pupils that are rectangular. Anyone know that? All right, one other person, that's great. So for the rest of you, just so you know, sheep's pupils are rectangular. And what that does, it, it, it gives them nearly 360 degree vision. They can see behind them without even turning their heads. So Pastor Ryan last week reminded us and pointed out the obvious that you know, they have no significant defense mechanisms. They have no ability to camouflage into their environment. They don't have claws to defend themselves. They don't have fangs, but they've got these eyeballs with rectangular pupils so they can see almost entirely around them. And speaking of the fact that they don't have fangs, guess what else I found out? They have no teeth in their upper jaw in the front. Weird, huh? Just a little, just a little uh, tidbit extra for you. That has nothing to do with anything else I'm talking about. <laughs> sheep are just kind of weird 
animals, I guess. But these rectangular pupils, that, that is the, the way that they can sort of be on guard constantly. So a sheep that is lying down is a sheep that is just chilling out. It is calm. Um, it, is, it is a sheep that does not feel it has to be constantly on guard. And it's this sense of uh, vulnerability that, is, that makes them so skittish. What else do we know about sheep that are lying down? Well, another thing that we know about sheep that are lying down is that they're well-fed. Otherwise, it would still be on its feet grazing. Sheep that lie down are sheep that are well-fed. And in addition to lying down in green pastures, verse 2 continues with this imagery that, that uh, David, as a sheep, is being led beside quiet or peaceful waters. And it's noteworthy because, as mentioned, sheep are, are skittish and they're easily spooked, and flowing water... Uh, disturbs them. Flowing water gives them anxiety. They just don't like the noise or whatever. They don't find those waters peaceful. Like we always like the sound of running water and rushing water, not so much the sheep, I guess. And even when it's not raging water, they prefer quiet, still water. And it's, it's actually kind of surprising how loud water can be, flowing water. Uh, this summer when I was on sabbatical, uh, actually before my sabbatical, I told you guys, like, one of my goals on sabbatical was I want to climb a mountain with my daughter. I was able to do that, which is awesome. And we climbed a mountain together, and there was a point where um, we were running out of water, running a little bit low, nothing to be alarmed about, but we could hear up ahead, we could hear flowing, rushing water. And we thought, okay, cool. And that was our motivation. We just kept trudging along to, to reach that water source. And we thought that it was just going to be around the corner. And every time the trail turned, we thought, oh, that, there's going to be the water. But then it wasn't. And the water was still off in the distance. But the noise of that rushing water carried quite a distance. And uh, for us, that was our motivation. For us, that was, a, that was music to our ears. Not so much for sheep, I guess. As they'll only drink from quiet, still water. Now, there's something going on here that I, that I find really interesting. As we look at these verses here, and it's how David portrays the sheep version of, of himself in relation to green pastures and quiet waters. Interestingly, David doesn't describe himself as eating the green grass or drink the water. He says... He lets me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters, but he doesn't describe himself as eating the grass or drinking the water. And maybe we can assume that that's happening, and I don't think that that's necessarily a stretch that that is happening, but that's not what the text says, and that intrigues me. If a sheep is in a pasture and they don't have a full stomach, it will be eating. It won't be lying down. And a sheep that is thirsty would be drinking from the quiet water, its preferred water source, right? And not content to just be in proximity to it. So it's almost as if he portrays himself as indifferent to these things and uninter uninterested in these things. And considering what he's already stated in verse 1, what did he say? The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He's already stated that before any mention of green pastures, any mention of quiet waters. So considering that that's something that he's already stated, it kind of makes sense. 
And it could be that he is conveying that the source of his fulfillment is the shepherd himself. That in relation to the shepherd, that the green pastures that, he would, that the sheep would normally deeply desire and the quiet waters that they would naturally and normally be drawn to are of no comparison to the shepherd. And it could be that David is suggesting that his needs are not met by these other things that are good things, but that his needs are being met by the shepherd himself and in the shepherd himself. And it reminds me of of the conversation that we see recorded in John chapter 4, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. What does a well contain? Water. Jesus says, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never thirst again. David is portraying himself in a state of complete peace, complete rest, total contentment. And as a sheep lying down in what would normally be his dinner and and near to but not necessarily drinking from what would normally be his preferred water source. And the more I sat with it this week, the more that I just kept seeing the same thing. And when I saw that John Mark Comer and Dallas Willard, uh, who get quoted quite a lot here, when I saw that they seemed to draw similar conclusions, I'm like, okay, I'm not the only one. I'm not completely crazy. There, I think there's something to this. But regardless, the point is that David is portraying himself in this way, where he's in the green pasture, and he's by the quiet waters. He's in the presence of the shepherd. He feels safe. He feels secure. He feels calm. He feels at rest, and he's just laying down. And remember that this is a willful kind of thing. The sheep doesn't have to lay down in environments like this. All those conditions could be there. The sheep could find himself in a green pasture in proximity to quiet water in the presence of the shepherd, but still be going at it, running around. Considering, you know, we're talking about the context of the Middle East, right? We're in a desert environment. How long is this green pasture going to remain green? i got to eat as much as I possibly can while I can. But this is a willful rest. The sheep doesn't continue to eat and run around, continue to graze. The sheep chooses in that moment. It's not being forced. He's not being made to, but he chooses to just rest in the presence of of the shepherd. And David is saying, thanks to the shepherd, I already have what I need. So this is a picture of deep, profound rest. The kind of rest that cannot be experienced outside of the shepherd. It is specifically, and this is how I will characterize it, something Ryan said to me last week and the phrase just stuck in my head. This is specifically an abiding rest. We understand the concept of rest to some degree, right? And this idea of abiding rest, this adjective, right? This uh, this sense of abiding, maybe it's an adverb, maybe I'll get in trouble for that too, I don't know. But this abiding rest, the the withness, the nearness, the presence of this abiding rest, that's what David 
is describing. And when I think about my desire for collective church is that we would discover and or when necessary, rediscover this kind of abiding rest, this kind of regular experience with Jesus. And I'm not talking about a state that is attained at one point and then maintained. It's just the constant time, the regular visitation, the ongoing enjoyment of the presence of Jesus. If I asked for a show of hands, which I'm not going to do, and I said, hey, who in this room considers themselves a Christian? Many of your hands would go up. If I said of those that raised their hands, how many of you would honestly say are not experiencing abiding rest in Jesus? I think the number would be lower. I think this is often something that we are missing in our relationship with Jesus. We don't take the time to just lay down and be with the shepherd. We're grazing, we're chasing water, we're doing whatever, and we don't just abide and experience that rest. So when I talk about discovering and rediscovering this abiding rest, what I'm not talking about is taking time off because that kind of rest is not about, the, the rest that I'm talking about is, is not just about the ceasing of work. Sheep don't work. So I'm not talking about ceasing work, stopping work, taking time off. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about taking more vacations because that is not, uh, abiding rest is not just about mere leisure or fancy getaways because you don't have to know Jesus to have any of that. When I say abiding rest, I'm talking about finding our rest in the shepherd's presence. And while it's not just about slowing down, it does involve that. Because it cannot be experienced unless we take the time to do it. So I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what the things are that are getting in the way of you experiencing abiding rest in Jesus. Maybe you work too much. Cool. Maybe you play too much, whatever. We fill up our lives with all kinds of things and too often we miss out on the relationship that the shepherd desires to have with us. And I say that intentionally because sometimes we think, oh, I have to maintain and I have to do all these things to establish and to keep this relationship with Jesus. And there is a part in that where we experience his presence and we rest in him and we spend time with him for sure. But I also want you to understand this is not about your desire and my desire and how much we desire to be with Jesus in that way. I want you to understand how much he desires it. He desires you. He wants to have a relationship with you. We only need to look at Jesus who came into this world to remove all doubt that he desires to be with us. And he didn't just come into this world to hang out. What did he do? He came into this world to eradicate sin, the thing that was in the way between us and God. The Bible says we are, we're at enmity with God. We were enemies of God in that state of sin. And Jesus came into this world sent by the Father to 
re, uh, re, to reconcile and reestablish the way that that relationship was meant to be. And this is something that we can take advantage of and enter into and need to practice the reality of on a regular and an ongoing basis. And I, I get it. You're busy, cool. You know, aren't we all? Everybody's busy. We all have things to do, places to go, people to see, contracts to sign, kingdoms to conquer, whatever. But resting in Jesus and truly experiencing his abiding rest has to be something that we prioritize. It cannot be something that we decide that we will do later. We need to include time spent with Jesus, enjoying and experiencing the abiding rest in Jesus. We have to include that in the mix of the things that we're already doing that make us so busy. Experiencing abiding rest needs to be part of our lives. It needs to be part of our busy. And I'm not saying don't be busy because you're going to be busy anyway. I'm just saying in all the things that you got to do today and all, you gotta, all the things that you got to do tomorrow, and as you, look at my, as you look at your calendar, and I looked at it last night and it was crazy, uh, and I looked at Ryan's calendar, and I looked at April's calendar, I'm like, wow, we're doing a lot of stuff. I was looking at that thinking, where is the time where we, were, where we will experience abiding rest? We're going to be busy. Stuff happens. Life goes on. We need to prioritize in the midst of our craziness, in the midst of our busyness. We need to prioritize, and I'm literally advocating for blocks of time that we will spend with Jesus. Because if we're too busy to abide with Jesus, then we are just too busy. If we're too busy... That's why I said busy twice. If we're too busy to abide with Jesus, if we're too busy, I said three times, if we're, four times, if we're too busy to abide with Jesus, we are too busy. Clearly, we've got too much going on. It also means our priorities are completely out of whack because we seem to be content to give Jesus our leftovers and not even that sometimes. We can't be too busy to experience abiding rest with Jesus. We've got to get our priorities properly aligned. Jesus deserves more than our leftovers. He wants more than our leftovers. He wants you. Imagine if our calendars were reversed. Here's all the time I'm going to spend with Jesus. And here's where I'm going to do all the other stuff. And in a life where we have responsibilities and all those sorts of things, maybe that's unrealistic. And so we get into other, other aspects of our relationship with God of like, what does it mean to uh, involve Jesus in every aspect of our lives and all of that. But just to make the point about rest, we can't be too busy to experience the abiding rest with Jesus. And we have to get our priorities straight. We can't give Jesus our leftovers. And like I said, I don't even think we give him that half the time. I think we rely on the spiritual component. Well, you know, like Jesus loves me anyway. And, you know, there's no condemnation, right? And so I'm going to live my life and I'm going to fill up my day with all kinds of stuff. And did I get any quality time with Jesus today? Well, no, but that's okay because he still loves me and there will be time tomorrow. No, there won't. There won't be. 
So if you find yourself wanting to push back and tell me about all the stuff that you have to do, then you believe that your purpose and calling is to be busy. And you believe that your calling and purpose is to be preoccupied in all these other endeavors. But that is not what Jesus is calling you to do. We're not called to produce. We're called to an abiding rest with Jesus. And it's from that place that then everything flows. So imagine you sell medical devices, medical equipment. I don't know. That's the most random thing that popped in my head just now. Probably because I have so much titanium in me, it's not funny. But if everything flows from the abiding rest we have in Jesus, imagine the kind of person that you would be to your customers, to your clients, to your coworkers, right? This is a person who experiences abiding rest in Jesus. And how does that affect and infect every other aspect of your life? How you talk to people, the deals you make, the ethics that you follow, the integrity that you have. See, it needs to be a priority. And it's from that, from that place of, of prioritizing that, that everything else can flow. Our purpose is not to produce. Our calling is not to produce. Our calling is to experience abiding rest in Jesus. And it's from that place that everything flows. I mention this frequently because I think it's so important and it's always front of mind for me because it's relevant to so many aspects of my life. It's so, many, it's so relevant to many aspects of ministry. I include it in our volunteer orientation, but I just love this story. And you guys have heard me say it a hundred times, and I'm going to say it again. So think about how Jesus restored Peter. Right before his crucifixion, Jesus, or right before his crucifixion, Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times. And it was a horrible betrayal, obviously. And after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, their paths meet again and Jesus comes onto this scene and he comes up to Peter and he says, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And Jesus asks him again, hey, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, we, we just established this. And this happens one more time even after that. And I think what's being communicated here is that Jesus is reestablishing for Peter that he cares more about Peter and that Peter loves him more than he cares about what Peter does for him. We need to understand that in worlds like mine, in ministry, that Jesus is not impressed with this sermon right now or whatever. He doesn't care. Jesus actually cares more about how I walked up here this morning, how much time I spent with Jesus this week, how much I'm thinking this is about me, or how much of this is about him, or how much of this is about serving you guys. But ultimately, Jesus is like, where's your heart, Lorenzo? I want you. So it's not just ministry stuff, it's everything. The good works that you do, the good person that you try to be, whatever. 
Just know this, Jesus desires to have a relationship with you and he wants it to be crystal clear in your heart and in your mind that he cares way more about you than he cares about what you do for him. It's an important thing that we need to understand. You know, sometimes we feel like if we were to take time to abide in Jesus and to rest and some of these other things and maybe even participate in some practices that help um, usher us into those places and help us experience these things. Sometimes we feel like it's a selfish luxury. Like, oh, you're going to go to the beach for three hours and just read your Bible. How nice. (laughs) But taking time to abide with Jesus is not a selfish luxury. It's a spiritual necessity. Take the time. Make it a priority. We need it. And, and I love this. David's ability to experience abiding rest. Watch this. David's ability to experience abiding rest was rooted in how he saw God. He saw God. He saw the Lord as his shepherd. And how he saw God informed how he saw himself. That makes me a sheep. David may have had wants, but he saw himself as not being in need, according to verse 1. And that informed the deep state of rest, peace, and confidence in the shepherd that he enjoyed. Some of us really resist this whole idea, this idea of rest and abiding rest. For some of you, it might be that you're trusting in your self-sufficiency where you're, you're proud of your ability to take care of yourself. I got this. I'll be fine. I don't need anyone to help me. I don't need God to help me. I'll figure it out. Abiding rest would require you to let go, let go of some of those things. Abiding rest would require you to, to humble yourself. You might find yourself in a place where you're unwilling to trust the shepherd. And you'd rather allow that to inhibit your relationship with him than just let go and allow yourself to be vulnerable with the shepherd. Some of you have built up walls in your life. You don't let anyone in, not even God. And that level of intimacy with God and that level of nearness with God, is it freaks you out. It's too much. It's not consistent with the walls that I've erected in my life. And I've erected those walls for a reason. You might feel unlovable and unlikable. You might have a hard time accepting that God would have any interest in you. Some of you are just plain not ready to rest. You're unwilling and unable to slow down and make space in your life for the shepherd. And I struggle with that but I got all this stuff to do for Jesus. It's not how it works. Some of you think proximity is enough. To be honest, you're kind of playing games. You like, you like that the shepherd is right over there. You like the proximity that you can have with him. And, and the shepherd's not too far away, but you, but you keep some distance until you, really, until you really need him. 
And then in that situation, you know, like, hey, God, I need your help over here, please. You want all the benefits without the depth of relationship that he died to give you. Some of you are in so much pain. You feel like there's no way to experience his abiding rest. How can I possibly rest right now? With all that I'm feeling and all that I'm experiencing and everything that's going on in my life, bro, I, I can't rest. Not here, not now, not this. With everything that's happening, I don't even know what rest looks like. So wherever you're at, and you can fill in the gaps, there might be other places and other ways that you resist against this, but wherever you're at in this, I would say to you, and I want, what I want you to hear, and this is my call, this is my invitation, it's to give the shepherd a chance to shepherd you. Give the shepherd a chance to shepherd you. What do you need? What do you really need? What are your needs, which can't be distinct from your wants? What is it that you need that you are not maybe allowing the Lord, your shepherd, to provide for you so that you can be like David saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. That statement is something that can be true of you. That is something that you can say. That is an accessible state of relationship with the shepherd. Give the shepherd a chance to shepherd you. So how? What does this look like? Where do we begin? How can we begin to experience this abiding rest? It can take on a variety of forms. But the most obvious might be just establishing a regular rhythm for abiding rest. Just put it on your calendar. Carve out time on a regular basis to be with Jesus. Some might even call that a Sabbath, which I think we're going to be learning about in the near future in a greater degree. Carve out time on a regular basis to be with Jesus. Spend time meditating on God's word. Don't just read it. Reading it is good. You should read the Bible. Yes, but spend time meditating on it. This is a true statement, apparently, because it's in the Bible. I don't feel that. I wrestle with that. I have a hard time embracing that. Why? Bring that before the Lord. Let the truths of God's word just marinate in your life. being reminded right now of the fact that sheep chew the cud. You know what that means? They devour and eat and consume, and then they lay down, and they regurgitate it, and they chew it again. (laughs) Do that with God's word. Don't puke on your Bible, because then you can't read it anymore. But think of, like, what does it mean to revisit and to sort of sit with, the truth of God's word. Meditate on God's word. Prayer is another way you can do it. And what, how I would encourage you uh, specifically is raw, honest prayers where we are hyper aware of his presence. 
Because if we're not hyper aware of his presence, first of all, we're violating the concept of prayer. And we don't understand prayer. Because if we're not hyper aware of his presence, we think we are talking to someone who can kind of hear us, but he's far away, he's not really here, and I'm going to say the right things, and I'm going to ask for stuff, and I'm going to ask him to bless me, and I'm going to ask him for help in this area of my life. And it just becomes a very detached kind of thing. But prayer is to be a conversation. And this is what I've been challenged with, especially over my sabbatical, is pray like he's right there. It just changed the way I pray. And not just, and I shared this with those that were gathered with us at our prayer night last week, not just pray that he's, don't just pray like he's there, as in like over there. Pray like he is the object of our prayer. And the reason why we are praying, it will change the content of your prayer and it will change the level of intimacy of your prayer and the abiding experience that you enjoy and experience with Jesus through prayer. Practice active listening. Sometimes that's just sitting in his presence. Your phone is turned off, the TV's turned off, whatever. You might just be sitting in your car. But you say, hey, Jesus, like, I just want to be with you right now. What would you have to say to me? Do you have anything you want to say? And just sitting with that. Practice active listening, asking him to speak. You could journal. And the kind of journaling that I'm suggesting or recommending is that you're just journaling and expressing your heart and addressing these things to God. And I think that as you do that, you'll be surprised at what ends up on the page. (laughs) You'd be like, whoa, that was in me? I expressed it like that? And then what will happen is like your journal will be speaking back to you. And it will be a really interesting experience. But it's time spent with God. You're, 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 there's, a, there's a different thought process that we go through when we write compared to how when we speak. And when we're writing out things to God, expressing our heart to him, it, it's an interesting experience. Through worship, obviously, that's another one. We've done some of that this morning and we'll do more of it. But that's another way that we can practice these moments and these opportunities of experiencing his abiding rest. I came, when I was on my sabbatical, I, there's a few Sundays where I came late and I left a little early and I hung out in the back. And it was, there was my first Sunday here. I was just standing off to the side over there and I just was like this. And I was just receiving and I was just being and I was just in his presence and it was just so good. I wasn't even singing and I was just, I was just, I had no words. Take the opportunity when we are gathered together. Yes, let's sing, of course, but also let's, let's be, let's, let's allow that to be a time where we're deeply experiencing Jesus Listen to others as they're singing. That's, the, that's so beautiful. That was my thought as well. When I was standing over them, I'm, like, I'm listening to my spiritual brothers and sisters sing to my Jesus. It was such an amazing feeling. We can pray during that time. We can position ourselves in, in ways that just unlock something. We can, we can sit, we can kneel, we can stand, whatever. You can come down here to the carpets, um, whatever. 
And that's even why our service format is the way that it is, so that once we've looked at the word of God together, we have an opportunity to sit with that and just let it marinate and in the spirit sort of figure out, like, how, how should I respond right now? So that we don't just like rush off into our day, into the next thing we're doing, and we're completely oblivious to what transpired here at our Sunday gatherings. Because here at our Sunday gatherings, God wants to meet with you. God wants to meet with you. And I don't know what your story is. I don't know everybody in the room. I don't know your situation. But I can confidently say that this is true of 100% of you. God wants to meet with you this morning. He does. He wants to speak to your heart. He wants to minister to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He is... He is giving you the invitation, let me be your shepherd at an experiential level. Embrace that, accept it, understand it, let me be this to you. And if we wrestle with that whole idea again, I don't know if I already mentioned this, but if we wrestle with that whole idea of, of, of thinking about him as our shepherd, then just reorient the thought process, flip it around and think, okay, I don't know if I, how I feel about him being my shepherd, but okay, I accept I'm his sheep. But then allow the implications of that to take root. I want you to see this as an invitation. Jesus, I mentioned it earlier, he did so much to be able, so that this invitation could be available to you. He has removed the barriers so that we could enter into this abiding rest. I want you to see this as a call, a challenge, and as an invitation. I don't want you to hear it as a have to do or must do to the point that you're missing out on the invitation piece. Receive this as an invitation.